Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. sounds of Clint Hawkins coming to you live. Hangtime podcast. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. We've got Micah Hart, our super producer, and Christy Kraft behind the glass here working all the controls. My co-host Lang Whitaker live from New York. It's Slam Magazine's on. What's up, Lang? Uh, via telephone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No Skype for you today, brother. There <laughs> are no expenses. <laughs> Hey, it's, listen, it's been a tough, tough weekend. Um, as you know, the Michigan Wolverines went down in, in flames to little brother, Michigan State. Yeah. So I've had, I've had about 30 text messages from Steve Smith call, you know, <laughs> giving me the business. I know your Braves uh, couldn't pull through, I'm sure, the way you wanted. That's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> um, at, least the, they get to, at least they get to play again tonight. I mean, you guys yeah. don't get to play again for a year, right? Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> exactly. you play basketball, I guess, in the fall. Yeah, well, like you said, we don't get to play again for a year because yeah. uh, basketball season doesn't doesn't fare much better than basketball season. Um, then to top it off, our beloved Smyrna Spartans dropped yet another game this past weekend. Um, wasn't the defensive coordinator's fault, just in case anyone <laughs> wanted to know. We did our job. But, Wholesale yeah. changes are in order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time, time to make, make the move there. Trying to pull, trying to get the hook out, huh? <laughs> Bring in Rich Rod. Yeah, exactly. Did anybody give the uh, head coach a vote of confidence? Uh, yes. Let's they're going to they're gonna have a players only meeting next. Yeah. Week. <laughs> there won't be any. There won't be any uh, guerrilla takeovers of the uh, operation anytime soon. Believe me. But we we It'd need the a... first uh, the first player only meeting where like the parents had to drive into the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> we we need something to lift us up, man. I promise you. But no, it's uh. You know, another week uh, closer to the start of the re- NBA regular season, which is always fantastic. Um, but I, there, we got a couple of uh, great guests on the show today that we'll get to shortly. Um, but some other news of the day that, Lang, I don't know if you've seen it already or not, but uh, ESPN.com uh, has this new heat index out. It's, yeah. It's like 24-hour coverage of the Miami Heat with uh, with some big-name, you know, guys in the media business, you know, and in journalism, um, 
Mike Wallace, formerly of the Miami Herald, is going to be uh, doing it. Kevin Arnovitz, a guy that you know and that I that I met and know, is a really good guy. Brian Windhorse from the Plain mm-hmm. Dealer, who covered LeBron James for a long time um, in Akron and in Cleveland, is now with him. Are you are you going to bookmark this heat index deal? I mean, are you going to be checking this out every day? You know, I don't really bookmark a lot of stuff. My, I, I think the, I mean, and maybe other people see it differently. Or, to me, the way the internet kind of works is, you know, if if something's worth uh, our attention, it, it comes to your attention, right? Through one way or another, um, either via Twitter or someone emails you, or or you see it linked from another site you go to or whatever. And you know, I think uh, if if there's something on there that I need to know about. I'll find out about it. Right. Basically, um, right. but if it's on ESPN, I think you're not going to really have a choice but to see it when you go look on ESPN's NBA page. You know. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I, I I looked over today. I saw somebody tweeted out a link to it, and I'm trying to figure out how. That I mean, it's going to be some work. Yeah. You know, keeping the heat fresh and interesting. I mean, nobody disputes that they're a big story, obviously. Um, yeah. But keeping them fresh and interesting in this realm is going to be uh, some serious work. So them, it's good that they brought in some heavy hitters from all over to uh, to work on it because it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much of that you can get into. Once the game starts, you know, the games really become a lot of people's primary focus. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm, but I'm like I said, I'm curious to see how it works out. I think uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about, obviously, and uh, people want to talk about it. Yeah, and if it, if if you know people are if you're critical and you say, well, why would they do this for one team? Um, I mean, they already have sites for, for everybody. You know, yeah. ESPN Los Angeles, ESPN New York, um, and I think if at the end of the day, the market will tell you if it works or not. Yeah, yeah. you know, if there's if people are interested, they'll go to it and, yeah. and they'll have eyeballs there, and if not, uh, they won't. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's going to be very interesting. Um, did you watch any? I, I know it's football season. Um, and, then, hey, you, at least your Georgia Bulldogs got off tonight in, in one <laughs> yeah. game. But did you watch any? I mean, are you are you tuning in at all to these preseason games? Um, yeah, you, I, I've seen bits and pieces of a bunch of the games. Right. Um, I watched the Knicks game in Italy the other day, and I watched the Lakers-Barcelona uh, game. And, um and then just some of the stuff that on highlights and on NBA TV and that stuff. Yes, you you need to watch NBA TV as much as possible. <laughs> um, did you? I, I I I wasn't trying to stir up a a fight necessarily when I when I mentioned last late last week on the Hangtime blog about whether or not you think Barcelona could compete in an uh, NBA realm over the course of a, a one regular season. Um, I happen to think I don't. I didn't base it on just them beating the Lakers last week, which obviously it's a preseason game, and right. and the intensity and focus are not going to be uh, at the same level they are during a, during a game that counts. But I don't. I don't understand why it's so hard for people to believe that a team of that caliber, a championship caliber team from Europe in 2010, why that team couldn't compete in the NBA. I think they could at least compete. I'm not saying they'd win a championship by any stretch. But uh, I think they could compete with NBA teams if they had the same, re- you know, if you give them the same rules and, yeah, and resources. I totally agree. And I think, you know, I mean, a lot of those players have NBA experience. And, um, you know, there's there's plenty of players in the NBA who probably couldn't play over there. 
and uh, or at least be a starter. Right. You know? Right. Um, so I, I, I definitely think they could compete. Now I don't know if they could win a title in the NBA. Yeah. Um, and I, I think time will tell. But um, yeah, they could definitely compete. I think there's a lot of teams in Europe that could compete with NBA in the NBA for a full season. You know. Yeah. Did you watch? Uh, did you pay any special attention to Rubio? Um, um, in that game, not, yeah, not I, didn't, really. I was trying to, I was trying to focus on him, but a lot of the game that I saw, you know, and I, and I watched more of the end than I did at the beginning. He yeah. wasn't out there. Um, yeah, but, you know that's the way they played. Like last year, he didn't play. I mean, he doesn't log like you know Major 35, Mason. 40 minutes a game. He, right. he would play about half the game, and that was what made them so good last season. From what I understand, Barcelona was that they had so many players and. Um, they monitored their time, and you know they all kind of bought into that team system. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm just curious to see. You know, I haven't seen anybody in the preseason. Normally, somebody will step up in the preseason in the yeah. NBA and like win all. You know, win every game, and yeah. you know, some of these teams that do that, we're gonna play to win. You know, even in the preseason, we're gonna play to win every game. Yeah, and it kind of sometimes it carries over. I haven't seen anybody else. Yet that just jumped out at me um, as one of those teams that, that looks like they're getting to make some some huge jump. But yeah, uh, no big surprises. No, no. But I'm still. I mean, I've got my eyeballs on it. Uh, yeah, I am too. But I, I agree with you. I, I haven't seen um, like a breakout team thus far. Yeah. Um, but listen, like I said, we, we mentioned earlier that we had a couple of special guests today um, on the on the podcast, and our and our first guest is uh, the author of The Undisputed Guide to Pro Basketball History. It's a book that's, uh, that, Lang, I know you have had a hand in, in touching, so um, I'm going to let you introduce our guest. Cause I think, <laughs> you I just think don't know what to call him. I think it's only fitting since I don't want, you know, I've had my name messed up for the last 20-plus years. I don't want to do that to somebody else. Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> All right, Seiko. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, he he asked me if we should call you Nathaniel or Bethlehem. It's just so weird. I mean, I don't think I've ever – I think if it's going to be a one name, <laughs> it's on the fake name, it should be Shoals. Okay. But it's weird for you to – I mean, we're, I know you. You should just, just call me Nathaniel. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, Bethlehem I do. Shoals twice for product placement purposes. <laughs> Bethlehem Shoals, Bethlehem Shoals. All right, Nathaniel. There we go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, and believe it or not, I called you Shoals as, as Micah and I were – discussing it earlier i i just called you shoals as a reaction like you just naturally you call a dude by his last name because i don't know if that's like the the unwritten rule you know that you call it you know you call a dude by his last name because it sounds cooler or what but i don't uh, call you smith though no you call me a lot of other names you shouldn't call me but uh <laughs> where did, hey, nathaniel where did the names come from oh they, they all just came from different places some of them being Hey, you need to come up with a funny name if you want to write for this blog. Um, mine was a contest I actually had with a, had with a friend of mine. Uh, her and I were trying to come up with like a, like the best old church going lady's name we could, and I won that one, um, which is funny because I have no old church going southern ladies in my family, whereas she did. Uh, but that was the name, and I actually at the, at the Temple University Writing Center for about a semester, she would jokingly. It's sort of weird. There's a residual past to that that if you maybe someone who worked the reception desk who's never read any of these books or anything would recognize that name as yeah my silly alias from the writing center. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, 
again, uh, joining us now on the Hangtime Podcast, Nathaniel Freeman. Um, we, we've also referred to him with several other names here. Uh, <laughs> Bethlehem Shows, which being my favorite, I just the first time I ever saw it, I started laughing. I knew it wasn't anybody's real name. Let's say, or I knew it wasn't your real name. It's like whoever this dude is, this isn't his real name. Can't be, because that would be too unique, and you know, and too too clever for any parent to cook that up uh, in the nine months leading up to <laughs> to, a, to a child's birth. But where where did the Free Darko name? Like, where what was the the basis for Free Darko? I think we wanted to at the time that we started the blog. It was when euros were hot and especially the idea that all of a sudden some guy was going to come over and be able to shoot three and run the point and also pick any other random skill that doesn't seem to go with well, those two things go together really well. Someone was going to be able to like defend but, in the paint yeah. and run the point. And right. that was just going to be the way basketball was from now on, which at the time someone like Garnett was sort of doing those things, but they were people were so convinced Euros were going to do those things that it, was, it just sort of reached this point of absurdity. And, you know, guys would come over and they'd be terrible, but we would sort of jokingly say, you know, free so-and-so. And I wanted to call it free Skeeta. No, I wanted to call it Skeeta time. And a friend of mine who ended up working for first helping get, getting Obama elected in Florida and South Florida and then working for the Department of Justice as a PR flag, so obviously he knows these things better than I do, it was like, if we're going to call it after Euro, it has to be Darko, because Darko's the only one anyone besides us ever thinks about. And he ended up being right, because I think a lot of people noticed it initially just because they thought it was like a Darko support site. Right. Which it sort of was. <laughs> I just mean, I to know, though, I never liked Darko, even during that draft. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a given he was going to go where he went, but I mean, I never... Even in my most sort of romantic, you know, God, it's even my most sort of like fantastical way of thinking about basketball, he was never a player where I understood why he fit into that whole matrix of Euros are going to transform basketball. He just seemed like a big sort of skinny dude who might be a little quick on his feet. Right. Um, right. Are you so. at all surprised that, uh, I mean, in that trend of, and, I, and I'm cheating a little bit here because, uh, I watched the. I got an advanced copy of the Once Brothers DVD uh, that that Vladi Divac and uh, and Drazen Petrovic are about their relationship and, and their rise and kind of how they opened the door for today's you know uh, international player really that's in the NBA. Are you, are you surprised? Either one of you are you surprised at all that it hasn't that it didn't take off the way everybody assumed it would about seven or eight years ago that these that we'd have this influx of fantastic international players and really European players that would just kind of take the league by storm? What's to say we haven't? I what, I mean, but what's to say we have is my question. I, I, I'm thinking about a lot of these other guys who were drafted yeah. um, that a lot of people thought would come over. And, I'm, you know, Boki Nakba, there's been a bunch of guys, not necessarily high in the lottery, but there was this idea that you would get, you know, 100, 150 international players would come over and be stars of teams, and it just hasn't happened. I mean, I sort of agree with with Lang on this. There have been plenty of extremely good international players, just not as many as anyone thought. I think what sort of hurt their cause was the fact that teams were a lot more conservative, at least initially, about drafting high school players. And high school players actually did transform the league. So people somehow thought that Euros were going to have as high reason and that they weren't just going to be, you know, I I think just like the rate of success has been a lot lower than expected. But, you know, it would be weird to say that they haven't changed the face of basketball. You know, I, I, 
I also wonder, like, I mean, the rate of success for international players, it, it's probably probably higher than the rate of success for American players in the NBA, right? Just because there's so many more American players drafted. Uh, I mean, there's only two rounds of the draft, though. I mean, we're not talking about a – Right, but how many of those second-round guys actually stick and have a three-year career in the NBA? Well, that's where all the European players are getting drafted. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, and I remember, like, in the like in the 80s, the Hawks used to draft all these European guys. Like, and that's when the draft had, like, five, six rounds, and they used to draft a lot of those guys late. Uh, and they had – Sasha uh, Sasha Volkov, and they had uh, uh, they, Sergei Bazarevich, the point guard. They drafted a lot of these uh, foreign players and brought them over then. But a- as you said, um, I mean, it was really two th- the early 2000s when it kind of took off and became what it is. Yeah, and I, and I mentioned, I mean, you know, uh, Nathaniel mentioned Skeeter, uh, yeah. you know, and then you think about Darko, you think about some of these other guys who were drafted in the lottery. Um, yeah. And that's when I thought it really hit a peak where people were assuming that there was going to be this kind of, you know, shift in in the league. And I'm I'm saying that to me doesn't seem like it really took off the way oh, yeah, a lot I of agree. people expect. I don't mean that there aren't any international players in the league that are that are all stars and, and great players. Don't I mean? No, I'm not no, bashing no. the trend at all. I'm not bashing the idea, but I'm just saying I think there was a time, much like with the high school trend, where it it got overboard. You know, you start taking yeah. You know, Kwame Brown and these people, you know, and Eddie Curry in the top three or four of a draft, you know, there was a, a reach that was going on with high school players and then international players. And now, obviously, you don't have, have it with a, the high school players, but you don't have it with the international players, I don't think, either. There was a lot of drafting for potential. Yeah. And um, I think now teams, um, you know, they don't overlook potential, but I think they look a little bit more toward um, certainty than they do potential. I also just think it was always easier to draft high school players because especially now, I mean, we're seeing one-and-done guys who are a year out of high school. And, yeah. you know, most of us follow high school ball to some degree now. And we see, you know, they're highly touted recruits. We get excited about, like, Wall. Everyone was excited about Wall going to Kentucky. Wall has the kind of year everyone thinks he's going to have, and he's the number one pick. I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't rocket. It wouldn't have been rocket science <laughs> to take Wall high if yeah. he was coming out of high school. Um, but I think that's the tricky thing with the, with the, the international players is they were supposed they were coming out of a, a context people didn't really know how to judge, and they were supposed to be these mythical creatures no one had ever seen or heard <laughs> of or understood before. So. Yeah. And also, you know, like that in the early 2000s when, when, when that was kind of taken off, it was before YouTube. And, um, you know, there weren't – like it wasn't that easy to find video on some of these guys. So it was a lot of word of mouth and um, just reports here and there. And, and now, um, I mean, even for I mean, for fans, it, it, much less teams, I mean, you can find pretty much video of anybody. Um, and it's a lot easier to, to, to see uh, these guys and, and to – you know, make judgments about them. I think. Well, I'm, I'm done. I'm done talking about the uh, international players because I've never been jumped on by two dudes at once on this show. It's like Micah doesn't even disagree with me that that forcefully. <laughs> He's like, well, what do you no mean? No comment. <laughs> um, but Micah agrees with us. By the way. <laughs> well, listen, the book. I mean, I don't want. I don't want to not uh, talk about this book. Um, what? What made you decide to do this book specifically? I mean, obviously you got a, a huge love for the game of basketball and the history of the game, but I mean, why why the book in in the form that you that you've decided to do it? Well, okay, this is the thing. I might have to change my tune on this once I <laughs> talk to some publicist or someone about this a little more. But the truth is, I, me 
And I think a lot of people just don't know that much about basketball history. You know, you, you obviously the parts I lived through I know about, but once you get to before I was born, it sort of starts tailing off exponentially. Um, and, you know, you absorb these sort of truisms about Oscar Robertson did this, Bill Russell did this, Will Chamberlain did this, but, you know, the, the sort of like level of subtlety to, you know, anyone's understanding of Jordan who lived through the Jordan years versus what they know about Jerry West, it's just, it's kind of unconscionable. And I say this as someone who was kind of in that position before we decided to write this book. I, I think I really was like, huh, there's a lot of basketball that <laughs> isn't all, you know, pre-shot clock and set shots that I really wish I understood better. And, you know, it's like, can I curse on here? I, won't <laughs> no. I guess I guess I just sort of said it without saying it. There's, there's, there are plenty of things that are not true that are kind of out there as truths about the recent game, right? And I right. just sort of figured it's got to be the same way about the old game, too. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, Wilt's a perfect example of this. People hate Wilt Chamberlain. People think he was just a selfish, awful player. You know, it's like something people's dads tell them. And Wilt Chamberlain's a lot more complicated as a person as a player than that. And I think we wanted to – I wanted to find that out just selfishly for myself. And also I wanted to <laughs> – try and see what there was I could get out there, if anything, that went against sort of this prevailing myth about Wilt. Because yeah. I, I feel like history is never as simple as the stuff that everyone's been telling you since the day you first got interested in the current version of something. Right. I, you know, I, I agree 100%. And in a way, um, that goes to the international thing where, you know, there was no – you don't find um, – you know, we don't we didn't grow up watching – videos of oscar robertson or whoever and i watched some of that stuff on youtube in the last year um some of the stuff i think maybe daniel posted um but there's like it's really to me uh you know while nathaniel was working on this and i wrote a little thing in the book but while nathaniel was doing everything else in this i i kind of followed along and um i learned a lot about it just i mean looking at those at the statistics um, even without even watching the guys play, just reading the stats of these guys, it, some of this stuff's just mind blowing to me. And Nathaniel, what stuck out to you? Like, give me another example of something that, you know, maybe you thought went down, and then as you did the research and went back and went over it, you got a different perspective on it. Well, I think one of the things that really, and this is, continues to be, be something that kind of intrigues me, is you know, there's this idea in basketball of the right way where everyone has a very specific role for their position. You know, you go one through five, and I could tell you exactly what they're supposed to do at each position. And actually, the quote-unquote right way is more just kind of a weird reactionary thing that's developed because people were afraid everyone was just going to want to, you know, cross over everyone else and then dunk the ball. But if you go back through history, positions were really weird and confusing and fluid. Maybe not the center position, but, you know, the guards – Mm-hmm. What which guard was the point? Which one was the off guard? It's it's really just not as clear cut as that. I mean, one of the people who I think I got the most at least emotionally invested in writing uh, the book was Maurice Stokes. What's Maurice Stokes? I mean, he's basically a point center. Right. Granted, he only played three years, mm-hmm. but you know, this is someone who was like second or third in the league in assists and led the league in rebounding and was such an amazing rebounder that uh, his team felt they could pass on Bill. Yeah. It's it's just it's just fascinating to look at the way and you know the sorry not to start 
foaming at the mouth about this stuff, but <laughs> it, was, it was in that the Celtics dynasty, which is kind of often credited with creating a lot of these, uh, what we think of as like, the archetypes for positions. They have this, they have one backcourt of Kuzi and Charmin that's, you know, very much the shooter and the distributor. And then they go to the Casey Jones, Sam Jones, which is still kind of that, but not quite as much that. And it's sort of weird that the team that won so many rings with this very clear division of labor would then go to a, a backcourt, in fact, a whole team where everyone's more involved in moving the ball. So just, it was just interesting to me to look at how that sort of falls apart, like the right way, quote unquote, falls apart. You actually go and look at how things have been done throughout the ages. Is there a is there a current player or a player maybe in more recent memory that uh, history isn't as kind to maybe as our our memory of him is? And I'm and I'm asking about that because I, you know you can sit down now and have an argument with somebody about their favorite player and people are passionate about this guy or that guy. I I like you guys. I lived through the Jordan era, um, and I and I realized at the time like this. We're watching one of the all-time greats. Whether you're a big fan of his or a personal fan right. of the, his or the Bulls or not, you knew this dude, you know, like this is one of the all-time greats. But are there other guys that played during his era that maybe were overshadowed by him in the championships, but statistically history will be a lot kinder to them? This is a lot length. Do you want this one? I've got a response, but I'm going to No, you can go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, God, this is not meaning to go so this – smoothly in terms of this but we're doing this thing on freedarko.com right now where this is exactly what people I was write about Akeem Olajuwon yeah. we're doing a whole month of that and I think he's a perfect example people did not understand how freaking good Olajuwon was I mean you know there's people when they start to write about these things they end up concluding that you know maybe it is specious to talk about Jordan as just dominating the era as the greatest of all time because you know, not to get into the whole debate of whether or not those championships the Rockets really count or not, but just as a player, Olajuwon was equally unstoppable, equally skilled. Equal, you know, it's you, you, it's just people. Everyone's in Jordan's shadow now, yeah. and Olajuwon certainly does not deserve. Even if he shouldn't be standing like hand in hand with Jordan, he's certainly not in his shadow in the same way that we think of him as today. Right. You know, it, it's interesting. We get here at Slam. We get we did a Jordan issue this year. And we get a lot of letters from kids because um, a lot of our readers are probably between 14, 24 years old. They might not have seen Jordan play in the 80s and the 90s. Um, and we get a lot of letters from people who are like, wow, this guy, you know, it's amazing. I, I'm just now learning about Michael Jordan. Um, and and I, I've kinda, I got this theory. I want to run it by Nathaniel and Seku. Um, you know, this video game just came out, NBA 2K11, and they have this whole Michael Jordan um, challenge in the game where you play as Michael Jordan and you have to play 10 of his greatest games uh, or 10 of his greatest moments and you have to recreate them and um, you know I, I know a lot of kids who play video games this will be the first time playing uh, this is the first time Jordan's been in a game in something like seven years or since he was on the Wizards um, and this, but this is the first time in a long time that you can play with these Bulls teams um, and the first game you have to play is, is the 86 Bulls against the Celtics in the playoffs you have to score 62-plus points with Jordan. Um, and for me, even even having watched those teams as a kid, um, just playing that game the, over the last couple of days, I, I mean, it made me reappreciate um, how good Dennis Johnson was, how good uh, Danny Ainge is, how, or was, how good Kevin McHale was, um, some of the, the Bulls players on that team. I mean, 
George Gervin comes off the, the bench um, on that team in 86. And, and I think, in a way, th- this video game, and it's going to kind of reopen, um, especially to kids, uh, what the, their take on, on basketball in the 80s and, and 90s and, and sort of basketball history. Do you think the video game could actually change that? I, you know, that's interesting. I, I spend a lot of time talking to my dad, who's obviously a lot older than I am, and we we discuss kind of this ongoing debate about how good are athletes now compared to how good they right. might have been, you know, in, in, when he was my age or, or even younger. And it's funny. He always comes back and kind of gives me the business about saying that, you know, he's like, you can't dispute what the kids – to him, their kids. He's like, you can't dispute what the kids are doing now. He's like, I, I lived through the other era, and he was like, and it had its fantastic times, and there were great players just like any other era. He's like, but the sheer size and ability of players now is something that I think he marvels at. Um, right. You know, because it, it it is a drastic shift from then to now, but I don't think anybody disputes. And the thing, you can you can tell me if I'm wrong, which you and Lang have not hesitated to do. I think the 80s and 90s, without question, seemed like a, a golden era for the NBA in terms of not only did you have Jordan, but you had this host of other, you know, just unbelievably superstar players either at the tail ends or, or finishing careers, you know, Bird, Magic, and those guys, and then starting careers Yeah, at, at the end of Jordan's era. And I think that's why the 80s and 90s is, is, is stands out in a different light maybe to me than some other eras of, of professional basketball. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, it's kind of there's also, it's, it's not it's not it's no accident that that's when the league takes off as this enormous mass commodity that starts to gain international popularity. Um, but I, you know, and I wonder if this is because all three of us saw the league then. You right. Know? That's kind of what we came up on. Right. Um, you know, I, I mean, my I, I remember my dad telling me about Bob Pettit and you know Hawks players from the. 50s, 60s, 70s before I was around, mm-hmm. Lou Hudson and these guys that that I, I've never seen play, and um, you know I, I you know I think a lot of it's generational. But I also think too, you, I mean, it, I, I'm sort of treading on thin ice here, but yeah, it curse. seems like especially if you look at like the 60s, you know, the 60s were yeah. it was mostly the Celtics against Wilt and whoever Wilt was playing with. Mm-hmm. And that you know, and as amazing as Oscar Robertson was, the NBA you know it was it was sort of like when we knew the Lakers were going to make the finals every year. Yeah, and I don't think any I don't think anyone would say that the Lakers threepeat at the beginning of this century was you know that that was a golden era for basketball. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so I think that might have something to do with it. And then I think I think the seventies are just really just a strange time for people to try and sort out because you've got two leagues and then you've got the late seventies where the whole NBA just sort of goes into this spiral of bad PR, um, low ratings I, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of, I mean, that's that, that and the ABA are just fascinating to look at because it's very hard to understand how good anyone even was because the whole thing, it's almost like it didn't happen in some ways. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. Well, Nathaniel, let me ask you this. I know Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, their arrival in the NBA, you know, historically is kind of given credit accurately, in my opinion, but could be different, you know, based on your research, is given credit for revitalizing the league and, and kind of pushing us into that golden era we, we talked about. Does does the history stand up to what you remember 
in terms of their impact on the game and like even in retrospect now can we trace you know today's NBA and the and kind of the 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 way the game is now to their coming into the league or is it more at Jordan's feet in terms of how he changed the marketing and the global aspect of the game I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do the the the, the politics thing here and say that <laughs> they definitely did a ton to sort of you know they brought together a lot of the this is what we write about in the book brought together a lot of sort of what was good about the ABA with what was good about the NBA minus all the stuff that everyone was freaked out about in both leagues right. um, and that at the same time they they generated a lot of interest. But it was interest, again, in those two teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the numbers, I don't know if we actually put this in the book, you know, really it's not like there was really a league-wide bump in attendance and ratings and stuff until until the 84 draft. And I think, yeah, it has a lot to do with Jordan and the way he was marketed, but it's also just then you get other great players coming in that year, and then, you know, in the next couple of years you get the rest of that crop of players, future Hall of Famers coming in. So. I mean, I think they, they were a much-needed shot in the arm for the league, but if, if the 84 class hadn't come along, then it just would have – you would have had another two-horse race for the tech like, for however much longer Bird could have hung on. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wondered that. I'm, you know, because I know that I'm dating myself a little bit, but I remember watching that – the Final Four, um, the year Bird and Magic played, and I – you know, a lot of times when you're a kid, you ju- you gauge the importance of something on how the adults around you are acting. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I don't want to get my dad in trouble with anybody, but he clearly had bet on Michigan State, like, you know. And so it, it was a happy household that night. And I remember it was almost like fate for him that Magic goes to the Showtime Lakers, Bird goes to Boston. And, it, you know, for the next ten years, my house basically, the ebb and flow was – who won the game or the series or the finals or whatever they played, it was always, you know, Lakers-Celtics, Lakers-Celtics. But I I knew even then, the night they played in the Final Four, I had a sense of how important that game was because I couldn't remember – this is honest to goodness – I don't remember a Final Four before that that the whole house was sitting down watching the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So, you know, I, I just think there are a lot of times in history. Same thing with Jordan. You know, I remember vividly when when the Jordan Bulls beat the Lakers, that marked kind of a, a, a I don't want to say a passing of a torch, but, I mean, it marked kind of a real change in how things would be based on the outcome of that, that series. Um, and I'm wondering if you guys can can look back and and have any memories of specific instances where it seemed like there was a dramatic change or a real definite shift in how things were going to operate. You know, I mean, I, as a Hawks fan growing up in Atlanta, I just remember um, the Hawks not being able to get past <laughs> Chicago <laughs> or Boston, you know. And, uh, and and for me, as a kid, really seeing that, it, it reinforced to me just how good Chicago and Boston were because the Hawks were a good team and they, you know, they could handle pretty much everyone except that that upper echelon um, in the conference. And uh, – I mean, that was when Milwaukee was really good. Detroit was getting there, you know. Um, yeah. And 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 I remember as a as a kid, I went to a Hawks game. Um, it was a Hawks Bulls game at the Omni, and and Jordan had something like six points at the half. And um, me and a bunch of my friends were kind of 
ran down near the locker room at halftime, and when they came off the court, we were all yelling, you're terrible, Jordan, you're no good, or whatever. <laughs> and uh, he kind of glanced up. I don't know who he's like. He glanced up as he walked into the locker room, and he scored something like 44 points in the second half. <laughs> I think he was looking <laughs> like right he at you. The Hawks like... and they won the game. Um, and, you know, I, for me, that was the moment I knew. But I think um, – I mean, Nathaniel could probably speak to this too, but I think at the time, it, you know, as long as you recognized, uh, it, it, well, it was really hard not to recognize just how good Jordan was and how he kind of controlled the league back then. Well, yeah, and and you know, Jordan too. What also makes it so easy to just install Jordan up there as just head and shoulders better everyone else is the way he really almost like systematically picks off every team he needs <laughs> to pick off to prove himself. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and and when he left and then came back, you know, <laughs> and then he returns and immediately starts running off titles again, and you're like, okay, yeah. you know, like I mean that that's really really impressive. Yeah, Nathaniel, yeah. I'm, one last question here before we let you get out of here. I, I'm just curious. I, the book goes up. Well, it's a couple questions. The book goes up to what year in terms of the history of the game? Like you trace it up until what year or what it, point? Yeah, it's it's sort of murky because we don't, especially towards the end where we figure a lot of people have, well, we dealt with a lot of the players at least and some of the topics in the first book we did, mm-hmm. the more recent NBA, we dealt with it there. And also, too, we were sort of thinking about not so much themes of today's NBA because, you know, I don't know. Because, yeah, again, we dealt with some of that before and also it just didn't seem like the place to be like, now, by the way, what happened yesterday that may be out of date by the time we – you know, right. we didn't want to write about, uh, you know, like this summer's free agency because right. we knew it was, you know, who writes about this summer's free agency before this summer's free agency. Um, but, you know, it, it does try to – the last things – you know, we, t- we had the last chapter that uh, my friend Pasha Mahler wrote. It's, mm-hmm. it's about YouTube and Twitter and, you know, how that's changed the way we consume and interact with athletes in the game. Uh, um, my friend Adam has a thing about the Spurs and how the Spurs have kept going through all the years. Now, obviously the Spurs, as we know them, appear to be on sort of a downside, but at the same time, part of the definition of the Spurs is that they will find some way to turn everything around and stay in the game. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I was going to say, in the, ver- the very end, like the sort of dashed off epilogue is about Durant and LeBron and sort of the differences between them and watching them and sort of what we were talking about earlier about watching them and saying, I know I'm seeing something amazing that I'm going to, that's going to stick with me. You know, right, the player right. is doing things that are going to be of lasting value. But again, I mean, that's, there's no reference to anything specific because, you know, we didn't really, we, we couldn't have foreseen LeBron's playoff performance, which I think <laughs> maybe for some people has undermined a lot of that mystique. So it, it definitely, it, it definitely is addressing contemporary issues towards the end of the book. Where does uh, it? Not, what's the, where does it start? I can't remember. What is the first thing in the book? Uh, okay, we start with. It, it's sort of weird because we didn't really know what because there's as much pre-NBA basketball history, <laughs> pro basketball history, as there is. Post NBA, you know, yeah. basketball being invented around the turn of the century, but at the same time, the pre NBA stuff, it's like a jumble. None of it makes a lot of sense. The rules have nothing to do with each other, sometimes from city to city. So, yeah, I mean, it starts with Naismith. Uh, then we sort of do a run through the early pro leagues and the, some of the better barnstorming teams. And then I just did a thing about the invention of the shot clock and Mike in, and right. sort of somehow Pettit ended up in there because. Bob Pettit was amazing, but it's sort of hard to figure out exactly where he fits in. Yeah. Um, 
era-wise. And then we get then we sort of jump in with the Celtics because that's at least to me that's really where the modern NBA begins. Right. Hmm. Now, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was curious because I'm really one of the healthy debates of the last decade has been who would kind of be the team of that decade? Would it be the Lakers? or the Spurs and, you know, and all the titles they won, you know, and every, every decade has its, its team that, you know, kind of sticks out. And I'm curious who history is kinder to in that debate in terms of the, the, the Spurs and the Lakers of, uh, you know, the two thousands, whatever you want to call it. And which team kind of has the edge. You know, my take on this, and, and this is without having done the research like Nathaniel, but I would think <laughs> the, the team of that decade is probably the Spurs. The franchise might be the Lakers. Yeah, that's a good way. If that makes sense. Yeah. Nathaniel, I mean, again, the last last question because we know you're busy. But I mean, what 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 would you say is your take on that that specific debate between those two teams? I was going to say something not nearly as subtle as what Lang said. <laughs> I, I just I would just call it even because you know I think yeah they won titles in different ways. One completely reconstituted itself, and one just sort of found a way to keep on making subtle shifts and adapting but mm-hmm. you know there's, there's a reason why those teams are just such polar opposites in terms of how they approach the game what they mean to the sport i mean it's just hard for me to they both won a lot of titles and when they were at their best everyone was terrified of them i think that's that's my measure of a dominant <laughs> yep. sounds like another book <laughs> listen uh, nathaniel freeman um thanks so AKA. much for yeah aka Bethlehem shows, and I'm sure people call you Darko, Free Darko, and all kinds of craziness. But um, we appreciate you coming on. It's been interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the book. I just hope that you guys can cut out the four or five pages that Lang penned in there because I don't want to have to. <laughs> I, I tore most of them. Myself. <laughs> thanks for coming on, Dan. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. We appreciate it. That's easy. Michael, I know you were in there with, you know, you had your hand on the button like every two seconds wanting to say something. What, what did we leave out that you wanted to get at? Well, you know, I was just thinking when y'all were talking about, you know, players and w- looking back in history, how does uh, how are they viewed? You know, just like you were saying, uh, you, you know, your dad brought you up on these guys. My dad was at LSU when Pete Maravich was there. Mm. Right. And I always feel like he's the kind of guy that sort of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, even though he was one of the 50 greatest players. I mean, you know, if you talk to people who watched him, certainly in college, they say he's the you know the greatest college player ever. Right. And I'm and I'm curious to know how how people look at him and his NBA, NBA career. I kind of feel like people look at him as a little bit of a disappointment, even though he did end up you know as one of the top fifty. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I my dad saw him play in college at um, when LSU played at University of Georgia. He went up to the game and um. I mean, I still remember him telling me about that, about how amazing it was to see him play live and how he could just score from anywhere on the floor. And um, But, you know, as you said, yeah, I, I think people do um, sort of discount. I mean, he he only played six years in the NBA, you know. Or, I'm sorry, he played <laughs> six years after Atlanta. He played four years in Atlanta and then um, New Orleans, Utah, Boston. But, um, you know, he, he, he didn't win a title, and I, I think that stuff kind of ends up um, – working against him in a way as to how he's perceived now. Well, I mean, it, it's it, to me it's always intriguing because the three of us, you know, um, you know, Lang and Mike and myself, all of us have these our, – our, our histories of the game are tied to whatever we were reared on, you know, like whatever our, our fathers or whoever those people in our lives were, were sure. watching or paying attention to. Like, 
we grew, I grew up 40 minutes, 45 minutes from East Lansing. Right. So my dad went, he and his, one of my uncles and some of their friends, like they literally used to drive around and watch Magic Johnson play in high school. Like the buzz about Magic. And this is before the internet, YouTube and all that stuff, obviously. So like it was a word of mouth buzz or you read about him in the paper and go, man, they said there's a 6'9 kid in Lansing that's like, you know, going to revolutionize basketball. Like they would go and watch him play in, in high school gyms all over West Michigan when he, you know, yeah. When magical nights. So, like, it, it's always interesting to me to find out what a perspective is depending on where you're from, where you come from. Like, I, I'm not a guy who watched Pete Maravich and thought – I mean, he was – I knew the floppy socks. I, I understood who he was. I, I understood what he meant to people. But, like, he wasn't a guy I grew up on as, like, man, Pete Maravich. To me, in, in, in my – where I'm coming from in looking at the game is – Lou Alcindor was the guy who was just staggering to, you know, that I always heard adults around me talking about, he and Will Chamberlain. Yeah. And I, I don't think, to me, as it's, it's crazy as it sounds, I don't think people give Kareem his due when you trace it all the way back to, you know, his high school days and then what he did in college. Like, sure. I always feel like he gets he doesn't get the credit he deserves for being one of the greatest players of all I time. Think, I think part of it also is just, you know, regional. And, again, this goes back to the Internet and YouTube and Twitter and all that, but um, – you know, I think Pete Maravich is probably more appreciated in the South because he played at LSU and yeah. he played for Atlanta and then he played for New Orleans. Um, and, you know, at the time, you know, the NBA might get a, a, a Sunday column in a newspaper or whatever. Right. Um, and, you know, now it's just so much easier to follow it. I, you know, I, I remember talking to David Stern recently and he was talking about how you can watch uh, – any NBA game anywhere in the world now on your on a laptop. If you have the internet connection, you can watch any game pretty much. Um, and it's just so different now, and it's so much easier to follow guys and find out about guys and, and be a fan of a guy. Um, and I think that, you know that's been a, a thing that's helped the NBA out tremendously. Could you imagine how crazy Pete Maravich's YouTube highlights would have uh, been? Back? Like, think about that. If you could have – like you might have read a, a you know a New York Times story or something back in the day about Lou Alcindor when he was at Power Memorial, but could you imagine if there was YouTube footage of him? I know. You know, that's I how know. sweet would that? I mean, I, I know it's all we're talking all Matrix you know stuff here, and <laughs> but I mean, I just to me it's always an interesting conversation because you would think that we would have these really divergent opinions about the game because of the generational gap between us and our parents. But me and my dad, we we agree a hundred times more than we disagree about most anything. Yeah. Watching the game then and now, you know, and we kind of always end up siding, you know, or, or coming out on the same side as opposed to him saying, "Well, you know, Wilt Chamberlain was great, and Shaq's no good." You know, it's like we don't have those kinds of conversations about basketball. Right. You know, there are other sports where there's always like this generational gap. Right. You know, you, you tell somebody that Adrian Peterson's a great running back, and they go, "Yeah, but he's no Jim Brown." You know. Right. Basketball, it's rare that you hear that argument. Somebody goes, "Yeah, well, Shaq's good, but he's no Will Chamberlain." That's a good point. I don't, I don't know why that is. Um, and you know, we're we're also talking about guys who, um, I mean, we're talking about Shaq and Will Chamberlain, and like yeah, you know, that, the, like the top fifteen. Players yeah, yeah, it's time. guys that stand up to you know whatever test yeah. of time you put out there. Um, so I think that's a little different. Yeah, but, we we're not arguing about Caldwell Jones and. Yeah. You know, because, see, I had, like, that was the other weird thing, too, about basketball. My brother and I, we always had favorite players who were obscure players on, you know, good teams or just sure. some weird dude. Like, you know, my brother used to be 
He used to be so into Andrew Tony on uh-huh. that Sixers team. That was like our favorite team for some reason growing up. And I don't know if that was our rebellious stage, the one year they actually <laughs> won a, a title that the Lakers or the Celtics didn't win yeah. in those early 80s. But we were infatuated with the Sixers. And, yeah. uh, you know, half the people you talk to about basketball now, couldn't, they couldn't name more than two people off that team. Were you guys Pistons fans? You know what? That's the weird thing. We were, Our house was such a Showtime Lakers house. Huh. That by the time the Pistons rolled around and got good with the bad boys, we you know like we could like kind of clap for them under the table, but right. but they better not be playing the Lakers like you know, <laughs> <laughs> which in our whole neighborhood though was diehard Pistons fans you know like growing up right. where we grew up everybody was into the Pistons I was not a bad boys fan like at the time I was in high school, you know when the bad boys were were rolling and it was like I I just did not. I didn't appreciate bad boys basketball back then. Yeah. Um, you know, you like you are a diehard Hawks fan. You you ride and die with the Hawks no matter what. And it was like I was I mean in a way though like I mean I when I grew up was right when when I became a fan was right when Dominique joined the Hawks and they they started getting good, you know. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they if they had not been a good team, I I probably would have had to, you know, pick some other team that was really good and and try to root for a, a, a championship level team but the Hawks were good and they were fun to watch and that you know Dominique was so much fun to watch um when he was in his prime and, and that was uh it made it easy for me to be a Hawks fan I think yeah I mean the Pist- the bad boys Pistons weren't necessarily fun to watch but they had Isaiah you know what yeah. I mean like they had some Isaiah great players and personality. Isaiah was like if, if it was just watching Isaiah play and all the you know the dazzling dribbling and all that that would have been fine but uh, Lord, Lord help me! I don't want to get Rick Mahorn and and Lambeer upset with me. But like, we couldn't stand <laughs> watching Mahorn and Lambeer and all the wrestling and knock. You know, like I didn't think that was. Those I didn't like were, that part of the game. Right. Well, those guys were like like and Dumars. Like they were all very business like and yeah, and not as um like flashy as Isaiah was. Very, you know, super exciting to watch and and um. But the other guys, yeah, were more businesslike, and you know, I can see as as a kid. Yeah, you know, when you're younger, you don't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you know any kids now. I mean, obviously, I I got a 12 year old who Michael Jordan means very little to him in terms of when you ask him who are his favorite players or who he thinks are the greatest players, he starts talking about Kobe and LeBron and these guys. You know, I mean, it's it's all a frame of reference. That's why I'm curious, like, when if your son gets this NBA game that just came out, 2K11. If if that's going to change like his uh, perception of Michael Jordan or of basketball in the in the nineties, you know you know what I, li- I you know what I like in it too. Like to me, it's kind of like music. Like when you're young, your dad likes something, and you kind of yeah. like, yeah, hey, that's not really for me. And then you grow up, and you get to like twenty years old, and you start looking at it and go, man, jazz is not so bad. You know, like I think yeah. I think that generation will have a a greater appreciation of Michael Jordan as they get older. Yeah, you know, because they'll be a little. They'll study it a little harder and be, you know, ha- develop their own thoughts about it a little more, and maybe watch it with a keener eye. If that's, you know, I mean, and just kind of look at it from a totally different perspective than they might have, you know, if it's being shoved in their face, like, hey, you know, this guy's. But the other part of that is the 24-hour sports news cycle that's out there now. You know, you got to remember Jordan and these guys; they did it with that kind of in its beginning stages. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the kids now are flooded with these images. And, I mean, there's not a player they don't know who he is. The scary thing is with the video games, I got 
twelve year old kids telling me stuff like you know well you know such and such place for this it's like oh yeah I forgot about that it's like what's well, on the video game you know <laughs> <laughs> so it, it all changes but Micah I'm curious you didn't grow up with the Pistons in your backyard or the Hawks in your back you know like with a team a local team in your backyard to root for who did you who did people in Jackson Mississippi root for as an like who was your NBA team in the Hawks were definitely my NBA team. And uh-huh. I would say I think most people in Mississippi probably were Hawks fans really? around that time, too, just okay. because you got TBS. Yeah. Those are the games that came on. Just like Lang said, I mean, Neek was amazing. And right. Getting to watch them play every night was awesome. What made me sad, Sake, is you're talking about your, you know, your parents and everybody going around to see Magic play and how they talked about him. We had a guy that we talked about the same way. But it was Othella Harrington. <laughs> well, what about uh, Chris Jackson? Wasn't he from there? Yeah. Yeah, he was from the coast. He was from the coast. That's, that's okay. like not even Mississippi if you ask somebody from the coastline. Okay. They'll, they'll tell you, like, oh, I'm not from Mississippi. I'm from the coast, as if it's its own country or something. But people definitely talk about him that same way because they played our high school in the state championship game when it was James Hollywood Robinson and right. Lindsey Hunter up against him. And, I mean, to this day, people will still say that, you know, have the argument about who was the better player between Chris Jackson and James Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's crazy to me how regional your perspective is sometimes when you're younger and then you get older. That's why I'm I'm intrigued by uh, by the book that uh, that Nathaniel has put together because sometimes that the history of something is always colored by the author's own view of history. Some, you know, and so the yeah. research kind of goes back and either confirms or dispels some of the things you believe and think. And uh, so those books to me are always really interesting. Like, you know, if you ever read the book of one of these ex-players, read their autobiography, you end up coming across a lot of stuff from a different perspective that didn't look the same to you, if, right. especially if you lived through it or if you've seen something else about it. So yeah, um, very curious to see that book. All right, en- enough of our blabbing. I mean, we've gone, you know, long past uh, our limit here of just complete and absolute we're going to about the game of basketball. <laughs> We're going to use up the internet. I know, yeah. <laughs> but listen, we 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 got going so good with uh, Nathaniel Friedman of Free Darko that uh we're going to we're going to chop this puppy up into two. Episode episode 27 of the Hang Time podcast is going to become two episodes. <laughs> we're going to uh we're going to wrap this one up and come back with our special guest uh for the second show um and see if you don't enjoy that one as much as you did this one. Lang, don't run away from the phone. Micah, get some coffee. Relax for a minute. We'll be back. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang Whitaker. Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that! Shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.